0: Questions, complaints, um, poems. Let me get my notes out here. Okay. And, what's going on? Okay. Okay. Well, the problem is we get this room. No, here's the problem. We get this room. Our we try to get this room set for 69 to 70, but in order to do that, when this room is filled with 160 people, it's got to be pumping. And so then you empty the room of 160 people, and now it can win. You know, it was, it was uphill, I think I can, I think I can, and now it's, it's won. Um, OK. Greg likes it, I like it. Yeah, it's nice. But um, OK. Any uh, thoughts or questions or anything from this morning? Yikes. He gets. He gets. Okay. Don, in the back. Yeah. I was Just
1: curious about the history. Um, wow. how we go from fourteen. Microphone. We go from chapter fourteen, and we're uh, we're in the first. We're in the house of, the, of a Pharisee and then we're with those that are eating with him first it's with the pharisees and then in verse 23 in chapter 14 um there's a great multitude um and that's where he gives the really hard stuff yeah is this the same no is this the same group he's with now as we entered chapter
0: 15 no 15 gives us a break of t- potentially time or location with the now tax collectors and sinners were coming near him to listen to or to hear him. So there could be a break of time or location from there. There's certainly a break of time from what he's at the Pharisee says. What we're seeing is Luke tying this together. When he ends the last account with, he was here, ears to he let him hear. Now the tax collectors and Pharisees are coming to hear him. He's linked them together thematically, but this could be a, a, a many miles away, many days later. This, yeah, this, this could be geographically and temporally remote. It's just linked together by he was ears to hear, let him hear. Well, these people are hearing. Here are some people who are hearing him. That, that's the connection for the reader to make the connection. And then if that's not implicit, when he says, it's like a sinner who repents, L- let me make it clear, these sinners and tax collectors who are coming to me are repentant sinners and tax collectors. That's the connection. So Luke literally, literally has connected them. But yeah, this could be, we know there's a break from the location at the beginning of 14 when he's at the Pharisee's house for dinner and then 25, now large crowds. Did I just say, large crowds? Large crowds, yikes, okay. I gotta stop getting up at three on Sundays. Now, large crowds were going along with him. Again, that could be a jump in time and place as well. But what I think is, I think the big connecting picture is, he. let me get my Bible open what connects thematically all of this together, is he goes and eats and has dinner with the Pharisee. And he says, in the face of your guys' rejection, you're like people who said they'd come but don't. I'm gonna go invite the lame, the blind, the poor, right? And I'm gonna invite them to my banquet. How does 15 begin? This guy's eating with those people. It's exactly what Jesus said he was gonna invite. Then he explains why. So, So thematically, Luke wants us to see the development of thought. I'm gonna go invite these, un, un, these these dirty, unlikely people precisely because you guys reject it. And then here they are stumbling, this guy invites, I mean, they might as well say, this guy invites the lame, the blind, and the poor. You know, and, and they grumble over it, then he should, let me show you from this perspective how it's a beautiful thing. I mean, part of what Jesus is doing is is appealing to them. I mean, he could, he could have responded, and he does elsewhere much harsher. I mean, you think of, not this last time he's at a Pharisee's house, but the time before in 11, you whitewashed tombs, you, you know. You're, I mean, he just blasts them, woe upon you, woe upon you here when they say, this guy eats with sinners and welcomes them. He could have said, yeah, I make exceptions for you guys, you're right. You know, he was just in the Pharisee's house. I mean, he could have turned them on, you're right, I do, and the worst ones are you guys. He could have said something along those lines, or who do you think you are, you self-righteous pe-? He doesn't do that. Let me show you, He doesn't even appeal to Old Testament laws. Let me, let me just show you God's loving heart. Isn't there something beautiful here? Now, the next week, we're to see there's also something ugly in contrast. We've seen the father's love today will be contrasted next week by the sons. This son of yours. He won't even recognize this as his family. This son of yours. You know, you do that. You, you've, had, you've had kids. You know it's like. Serena, your son. Yeah. You know, um, he's distancing himself from his own brother. This son of yours. And... There's something really ugly there, in contrast. And and so Jesus is being gentle with them, really. I mean, compared to what he could do and what he has done previously. So that's, I think, the flow of thought. But yeah, this could take place over weeks and over many miles, absolutely. There's nothing that links this geographically. I mean, we know he's still on his way to Jerusalem, but we also know he takes a very meandering, potentially year-long trip to Jerusalem, so. There's that. Does that get where you're going at, or does it ramble? I'm probably both. I probably rambled and. Yeah, okay. <sighs> okay. My, my brain scrambled for that. Okay. Other thoughts, questions? What? The lounge scars. The lounge scars. Yes. <sighs> no, no worries, though, Greg. My mother keeps track of every word I mispronounce. <laughs> Last week, she said to me, you mispronounced every word. Now, if that's not the epitome of hyperbole, (laughs) I don't know what
2: is.
3: (laughs) Okay,
0: some of you will get that on the way home. Um, I'll be here all week. Sorry. Okay. Okay. Other thoughts, questions, anything? If not, I... Greg!
2: Let's see, which one was it? Um...
1: Oh yes. Uh, sin promises pleasure and freedom, but it
0: beggars. I thought that's what you said. Beggars. No, it's a word. You can you can turn it Is that a a
1: British word?
0: word? I mean do we we say that Mum, is that a British word? (laughs) No,
4: it's a
2: word. As a verb.
0: There we have it from our resident British expert. (laughs) <laughs> uh, yes, it's, but I wanted to get out like it impoverishes. I liked, I liked the visceralness of it beggars us. I mean, but yeah, it's it's not a common word. Yes. Very astute, Greg. <laughs> hey, at least I didn't say dynasty. Yes. Dynasty? Yeah. yeah. I didn't say that, so it's yes. okay. Okay. A more aluminium or... I do like aluminium. Kara, what, what microphone, microphone, microphone. No, this isn't important. I, <laughs> after hearing everybody around us wonder what that word was, uh. and, and, and discussing and looking at each other, I, I declared that it was fetters. I thought uh. you were saying fetters. All those in favor. <laughs> 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 okay, I gotta bear this in mind, so I make blanks, so if I don't make clear blanks, you'll have people going, what was that, you know, um, So I will, I, you know, what, the, what, the, what did Abner write? That's the real question. I, I really have Oh, okay. I believe that too, so okay. Um, okay. It beggars us, yeah. But I mean, but that's that's the thing with sin. It's constantly. It promises. I mean, um, what was his name? Doug Wilson um, gave this example of speaking at UCLA, Berkeley, about the new the new gender revolution, and he said it's kind of like people that are at the edge of a cliff that sort of you know go over the edge, and there's this moment when you're falling where you feel completely free. As the rocks below rise up, he's like, you know, you're gonna you're gonna reap what you sow. And, um, but there's a moment of freedom and exhilaration and, you know, away from all those constraints. Um, and so, no, sin promises that. I mean, the whole promise is no, no one gives himself the sin to become a slave. No one gives himself the sin to, to get worse. Adam and Eve ate the fruit free- because they thought they'd be more like God. Instead, they're sewing together leaves and kicked out of the garden. You know, and no one picks up a drug habit thinking, I'm going to become a junkie. You know, they, they, they think they can do both, they can manage it, they can handle it, they can make it work. And inevitably Jesus says, you know, to whoever you serve, that's your master. So sin by its nature enslaves and it will eventually rule you with a with a with a whip. I mean this guy gets this place. This, yeah. this is just a verse that came to mind <clears throat> along that line. This is uh Second Peter two uh, nineteen. They promise them freedom, mm. but they themselves are slaves of corruption, mm. for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Mm. Whatever overcomes a
4: person, to that he is enslaved.
0: Good. Well, let's, listen to this one I found this morning. I put it in my notes, but I never got to it. Proverbs 11:18. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. And so, I love that picture of deceptive wages. You think you're gonna get one thing and you get another. You think you're gonna get sophistication or pleasure or power, and you get slavery. The wicked receives, Proverbs eleven eighteen. the wicked earns deceptive wages. In contrast, the one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. His payment's not fool's gold. It's like the wicked gets paid in fool's gold. And it looks so shiny, and it looks so good, and it, yeah. Rots. Um, you got, it, nope? Okay. Oh, Kyle Stark.
2: So it seems like here Jesus is willing to emphasize, maybe a bit above and beyond, the Father's eagerness and expectation and corresponding joy of a repentant sinner over his faithfulness as a shepherd of his sheep. Or um, over the father, it, it just, the three parables, all three, it seems like he emphasizes that over. Do you think that's intended? It bothers me a little bit. I don't know why, but over what? Over his, his faithfulness as a shepherd of those that are already in his fold
0: or yeah, over yeah. the son that's still in you. his household. Or... I gotcha. Um, yeah, I think the main point is he's assuming this, you've got to read these three parables. In, in light of the fact that he's granting the Pharisees' false assumption, um, there's no way there's 99 who don't need repentance. There's no way Jesus is confused on that point, point. Um, and there's no way that the older brother, his faithfulness, is an accurate depiction of the Pharisees. I've served you. I've done what you've wanted me to do this all this time. Um, Jesus is. Both of those make it clear to I me. Mean, Jesus is granting their false assumptions. What Jesus is, I think, saying is, let's grant, let's grant you're who you think you are, let's grant these guys are who you think they are. Even if you grant that, how do you think a shepherd feels when he gets one of his lost sheep back? How do you think a woman feels when she gets one-tenth of her wealth back? How do you think a father feels even when this, which is why I was trying to emphasize, Jesus' solution to the problem is not, this guy isn't as bad as you think he is. He, he paints the younger brother in about the worst possible light you could imagine. I mean, he, he only, the only way he falls short is he doesn't assault his father. i like, I suppose you could make it worse if he like, robbed him, like, you know, beat him, and stole the money and left. I suppose that could be worse. But beyond that, there's not much worse he could do. And so, granting those assumptions, it's about the joy of getting back what was lost. So I I wouldn't press it too far. And that's where you get into parables. I wouldn't press it too far. So does Jesus abandon his church to go find somebody? No, no, of course, that's not where. uh, So I just would get the main point of even if you're right about who you think you are, you're right about who you think they are, do you see the beauty and the rightness of this? I mean, it's summed up in the Father to the Son in verse 20, um, 30, 30, 30, no, is it no, I'm the Corinthians. Good grief. Hold on. Luke. There we go. 31, 32. It was fitting. I mean, that's really the answer. When the father responds to the older brother, no, it was fitting. The, the son tells him why it's not fitting. Right? In verse 30. 30. Um, but when this son of yours came who's devoured your property of prostitutes, you killed the fat and calf. Which is to say, it's not fitting. And that's what the Pharisees are saying. Jesus, it is not fitting. If these people get into the kingdom, they are scraping by, let's admit it, Jesus, they're the dirtbags, they're the lowest of the low, they're the sinners, they're the tax collectors, they're the prostitutes. If perhaps God's grace can cover them, surely they're just scraping by and getting in. That's the older brother is representing the Pharisee's perspective, and he's angry, he begrudges that the father is celebrating and throwing a feast for his brother, and the father's response is, I think Jesus' response, no, it is fitting, you're wrong. It is wholly appropriate, wholly fitting to celebrate, and that's the point. I wouldn't press it out much beyond that. Um, I I wouldn't try to to make this stand on all four legs uh, as a parable. I mean, you can read. You want to do that? Go read Augustine on the Good Samaritan or something, and he he'll tell you what the coins are. He'll tell you what the innkeeper is. The innkeeper is the Apostle Paul. And no, they got everything for every parable, and I'm sure if you go read the Middle Ages, you'll find the pig slops one thing and the the pods or something, and you know whatever. I I'm trying to draw the framework. Okay, the last two parables had a sinner repenting and had a celebration. This has got a sinner repenting and a celebration, and then we get the third character, the older brother, which we'll look at next week. And in that framework, press it out, make it big. That's what I was trying to do last week was to. Um, if the whole point is Jesus, Jesus' emphasis that the heaven celebration is surprising and it's bigger than you'd expect. And so I, I don't want to tame that or put that on a leash or make that smaller because the whole point is supposed to be this is lavish. I mean, I, I, if you're a parent and your child goes away, wayward, and comes back, this is not some standard or law of what you have to do. It may well be appropriate if you've got a kid who. Um, has you know done things to bring them back on a trial basis. It may well be appropriate to give them a strict curfew and rules. Okay, we'll let you back in, but here's how it's going to work. That may wholly be prudent and appropriate. This is not some. Here's what righteous people do when their wasteful sons return. The, that's the point of this is the lavishness of it. That's precisely the point. This is over the top and unexpected. It and Jesus' point is God's response of joy. Is equally over the top, unexpected, and outrageous. And, and Piper's point of, in all three parables, in the last two in particular, God is willing to compare Himself in ways that are undignified. God can say, "There's something about a peasant woman searching high and low for a lost coin that's like me." There's something about a father running with his, you know, his skirt pants up, pulled up, running to his son who's covered. I mean this guy would be coming ceremonially unclean by touching the kid who touched the pigs. It's, I mean, the Pharisees, I'm sure, that would be tracking with that. There's something like about God in that. You can learn something about God from looking at this undignified man running to his son. And so I, we want to, you know, God's dignified. Well, and he is, but he's willing to compare himself to these things. And so I, I want to let the awkwardness, the, the stretching of it, stretch me. I don't want to just, well, I know it sounds like this, but really it's, you know, if if Piper, I had last week uh, an essay from him, and he he is, uh, his response to people that say this sounds like dignified, was, his first point was, well, David danced before the ark, and McCall despised him for it, and God, you know, cursed her barrenness as a result. Let's not be, let's not do that. Let's not look on God and say, well, this is a a little over the top, God. Um, but we never got to that last week, so. Lois.
3: I kind of um, can agree with Kyle in that it's easy to get feeling like with the sheep. He left 99 sheep to wander, kind of, if they were not being cared for while he went out looking for the one that was lost. Mm. But I think that then we have to remember, we're that one sheep. Right. Even if we are consider ourselves to be in the fold we're the one that's out wandering that needs God to find us.
0: Well, and let me, and let me say one thing. People have made a big deal of leaving the 99. I don't, whatever he's doing there, I don't think he's doing. Jesus' story, especially that parable, he doesn't do it with the woman, but he does do it if you go back with the, uh, with the shepherd, assumes a positive response, right? Verse 4, what man of you would not... Da, 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 da. So it, whatever's going on here is not poor shepherding. So, that's why I think there probably is some other shepherds, this is a big group, that probably bigger than one man could handle. The other clue is, when he gets the sheep and puts it on his shoulders, he doesn't go find the 99, he goes home. When he gets home, he carries on his shoulders rejoicing, and coming home, he calls his friends, which suggests somebody else got the rest of the sheep home. So, I don't think we're to understand this as, I'm just going to leave them, they get attacked by animals, they get attacked by animals, because then the Pharisees would go, that's crazy. You don't leave the 99 sheep you have and gamble on getting the one you don't. You, you protect what you have. You, you don't, you're gonna risk 99 for one? That's crazy. You, you couldn't assume a positive response of, well, of course. Which is what Jesus' framing of this does. He assumes, they're all nodding, going, yeah, that's what you do. So I think anything reading into this of neglecting the 99, putting them in danger, has got to be ruled out, because otherwise it doesn't work. So either we're not considering that in view at all, or we're to understand there are other people. Um, so I think the, the emphasis is on the suddenness. He, he doesn't wait till he gets home. He doesn't say, "Let's get the sheep to the fold, let's put him in for the night, then I'll go look for the, night, the one." I think the point because and this is my thinking process this last week. Well, then what's the point of telling us he left him in the field? And wh- Why tell us that? Well, because to tell us he didn't take him home first. that I'm assuming this means something like once he noticed one's missing, he was gone. He, he just bolted for that one. Yes?
1: Doesn't that also go along with the point you were making that the sh- those 99 are like the Pharisees? They didn't need me. They don't need me there anymore. Only the one needs me because they're the right. true center, and the 99 are that, already and that's, safe. and
0: that's where you don't want to conflate metaphors because Jesus is the shepherd of his flock. And we're like, oh, we get that metaphor. And in one sense, the 99 other sheep don't exist because there are no 99 people that don't need repentance. So that's where I wouldn't flesh this out, like Jesus is the shepherd who abandons his flock. To f- no, 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 no. no. So, whether, so yeah, whatever's going on here is not poor shepherding, or he wouldn't have phrased it in a way that would assume a positive response. Um, so the fact that he assumes a positive response, it, he's not leaving the sheep willy-nilly to be preyed upon by animals while he goes and runs for one sheep that was lost. Kathy?
4: And I like to think, if it makes you feel any better, um, when we came to Christ, there was still that joy and feasting in heaven. It's just that we didn't have to suffer through all the, you know, I mean, we came sooner in our sin rather than having to go through all the stuff like the prodigal son did. And God, in his mercy, kept us from that Yeah, for his reasons.
0: Right, right. And in my my testimony, is more like, no, I was the the prodigal. (laughs) That was me. Um, And and the point isn't, well, God only then rejoices over really bad sinners. I mean, again, the argument's the lesser to the greater. The assumption is, of course, God delights in the righteous. Jesus is trying to show them God delights when when really nasty, filthy, terrible sinners repent. Um, But then you read the Bible and you find, well, that's all of us. That's all of us. You read, you're like, oh, there's none righteous. No, no, okay. Oh, apparently that's every one of us. Deb, microphone is coming.
3: Yeah, I appreciated the fact that this time uh, it was, you talked about from the father's point of view and I've not heard a lot of that in past, you know, and then when we talked about how we were, you know, do, we don't necessarily take this as a way to react when our own son comes home, I'm thinking, yeah, this tells us, am I correct, I guess? My question is, in saying this is telling us about how God loves us and reacts to sinners, repent, repentant sinners, and not necessarily a how-to no. manual. No, and is, yeah. and it's the kind of thing that we don't necessarily, oh, I don't know, I lost my train of thought, but it's the idea that... Uh, um, if we're looking at ourselves as the older son, we're not seeing the lessons about the father.
0: Well, I think, I think there, we're both. I mean, kind of what I'm going to do next week is, okay, for all of us who are saved, this is a picture of that. We may also find there's a little older brother in every one of us too. Um, and That'll be next week, so I don't want to go too far there. But no, this isn't a how-to. In fact, in some respects, I'd probably counsel against this type of lavishness. I mean, let's just let's say you got a family. I'll make a scenario: a kid has, you know, um, ran up credit card debt. He's he's gotten into drugs and alcohol and stuff. He's on the streets. And he wants to come back home. I could very well see the parents should we give him our credit card? Now prob- I, I would say that probably not be a good place to start. You might want to give him some rules and some structure and a curfew, and that may all well be prudent. I mean. I don't think, no, no, the prodigal's father, we want to do that. That may not all, this is meant to be, whoa, over the top, right? Um, and you have to take it case by case, but to simply, you know, we, and I think that's part of why, again, you've got to ask, why are we told things? Why do we get the inner monologue of the prodigal? Why do we get that? Why, not? why couldn't we cut that out and simply say, he arose, went to his father, and said? Because Jesus wants us to know, this son is genuinely repentant. This isn't someone playing games, this isn't, I know what I'll say, I'll schmooze him and tell him what he wants to hear. We know he's repentant. The father can interrupt him, the father can, can not let him even finish, but we already know. So there's nothing foolish here on the father's part. But, but no, this isn't a how-to manual on how to restore prodigal children. This so, is meant to be lavish. And if you didn't throw a, did you throw a feast? No, we didn't throw a feast, oh. Yeah. At least, was there dancing? <laughs> Dancing, we're Christians. You know. yeah. um, <laughs> 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 but okay. this is not meant to be like here's how you restore a prodigal. This is meant to be lavish over the top, rejoicing in love. That's so would
3: would we be able to say then God alone knows the heart yes. of people and human beings. Yes. Father even human being fathers might not know the heart of their kid. <laughs> they they don't. might think they're being they might think they're being schmoozed.
0: No, and, and, and again, this would be a very different story if the son came and he had a, you know, trawl trollop on his arm, a cup of wine in his hand, and was like, Hey Dad, uh, things are getting a little tight here, and I know that the house isn't the same without me, and so I was wondering maybe if my old room was still there, you know, maybe I could come back in and bring some of my friends over, and, and of course you'd extend a line of credit for me, you know, a little give and take. Eh? I don't know why I'm adopting a certain. I don't know why I'm. Yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry. Okay. Um, that'd be a very different. That'd be a very different story. And that's part of what I was getting at even when I said that. You know, I don't believe. On the one hand, I don't believe that. Yeah, yeah. I don't believe. Uh, you know what it is? Is I've been have been listening to a comedian some of my kids, and he always adopts like that type of attitude whenever he's doing something sleazy. Um, I think it's Jim Gaffigan. You know. And he's like, hey, you know, the pasta bread bowl, you know, and he just sort of switches into uh, to that, met- yeah, that's probably what it is. Yeah, okay, and I'm talking out loud, aren't I? Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. And uh, there would be a very different story if that was what was going on there. that would be a very different story, which is part of what I was trying to make is we, we dare not alter the gospel and the gospel's demands. They're, they're non-negotiable. What we do see is ridiculous, lavish grace, and even as the Son is beginning to make the first inklings, the Father isn't waiting, saying, we'll see, we'll see, you better impress me, this better be good. Then we know it's genuine, and I think that's part of why we're told beforehand it's genuine, and the Father, our Father's omniscient, right, so he knows too. And so, I think what you get from this is when even the most beginning inklings of real repentance happen, God isn't sitting there going, oh, that's kind of weak. That's kind of, yeah. No, there's this lavish, okay, you know. And, you know, it, it, when you, you know, when we, our experience, we look for God, we find He's been looking for us a whole lot longer, you know. Um, and, and He meets us where we are. You know, He doesn't say, well, I'll wait till you get to the front door and knock on it. And then maybe I'll let you wait for a few minutes. You know, we'll see what, and he's running down the path, so yeah, okay and who's next? Oh, yep. Kevin
4: um, through all of this it seems to me or what it's speaking to me is uh, these parables are I'm relating more towards the Pharisees in all of this, and the warning to us is I think that the, that we need to watch that. <laughs> because I'm seeing myself more in the Pharisees than I am
0: oh no I I, I didn't that's part of why I divided this out because I want to spend because the real point of this who's Jesus talking to and telling his parables to Pharisees so when you really push comes to shove the real point of this parable is the older brother because that's really the connect for them I mean he wants to show them let me show you something really beautiful let me show you this father's love now let me show you something really ugly which one looks like you you know, And that's kind of what he's doing with them. And it's a gentleness to it, because he's not rubbing their faces in it. There's a gentleness to what he's doing, but it's clear. This is really beautiful, this is really ugly. And wow, we look like the really ugly thing. But no, we, we do. Um, a friend of mine, who went to Word of Life the year before me. The year he was there, told me about this. Apparently, I've got to make sure I get the details right. Apparently, I believe it was Jeffrey Dahmer, in prison, made a profession of faith, and Dobson and some people went in to interview him. And they'd played some of the footage. This is after he'd been killed in prison um, by some other inmates. And apparently, I, I didn't see the video, but apparently his testimony on the video was credible. Look, looked like it could be real. And my friend said he came out of the, you know, of the chapel service, where they played that video or whatever, marveling at God's grace. But there was a ton of students, there's no way. That was <laughs> fake. There's a, what was the assumption? Someone that wicked, they can't be saved. Someone that corrupt, they could, they could, there's no salvation for them. Salvation's for decent people like us. You know? Yeah, older brother. Uh, you know, and yeah, we, we, or Pharisee, for your lack, lack of a better term. Um, yeah, I think we're prone to that all the time. We, we don't think our sins are that bad. And so when we hear about really bad sins, we get upset. Um, okay, but that's all going next week, but yes. Yes, this is, as beautiful as it is to say, this was me and this is God running to me, we also need to look at this and take a seat and see if anything from the older brother sticks too. And we may find we're both the prodigal and the older brother. I know at times I certainly am. Um, And Doug, right behind you.
1: Could you, (coughs) Jeremy, speak a little bit about the but when he came to himself? Particularly in context, uh, he didn't come to himself, he may have come quickly, <clears throat> he may have come to himself slowly, mm. he, it, you know, he, he may have come to himself completely, he may have come to himself partially, but in perspective for this parable, and just in general, could you talk a little bit more about that?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. It starts with um, him responding to a felt need, which in our experience is frequently the case. Um, you know, somebody becomes a slave to alcohol, they lose their job, their family breaks down, whatever. And that's what gets their attention. Usually, it's rare that repentance begins with a deep-seated knowledge, I've sinned against a holy God. Usually God tends to get our attention with the consequence of our sin. As you start there, um, you start with, my health is failing my family's failing, my career is failing, whatever. You generally, so this is where this guy starts. The prodigal starts with, I'm hungry, my dad's sli- My dad's servants have food. <laughs> no one has pity for me. That's what gets his attention. Now how long it takes him in thinking through that to come to the part where he rehearses his confession, I don't know. Um, days, weeks, in my case, about a good month or so of, of working over things. Uh, I have no idea we know what started it, his hunger, and we get the crystallization of his end result. And uh, the, the cross-reference I had that we never went to is in Second Corinthians, but in Second Corinthians, um, I think we see some of that at work. Let me jump over there, seven. Um, where Paul gives seven fruits, or tendon, ex- seven heart attitudes of repentance, um, Seven, ten, and 11. I'll go back even further to 8. Um, Paul wrote the Corinthians a harsh letter. I don't think we have a copy of it. There's some people that think 1 Corinthians was a harsh letter, but I, don't, I doubt it. But regardless, Paul wrote them a, a strong letter. He rebuked them. And in verse 8, he talks about that. Even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. Which is to say, I'm not a sadist. I, I said some hard things. I don't enjoy saying hard things. I take no pleasure saying those hard things, but they needed to be said. I don't regret it, but I did regret it. Which is, you know, basically, I don't, I don't get, I don't get joy out of saying hard things. Then he goes on to say, but now, um, I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, because you were grieved into repenting. So. So there was a sorrow that led to repentance. It Doesn't always lead to repentance, and in the case of the prodigal, it could have been, I'm sorry I don't have food, and it could just as easily have metastasized into, my dad is a jerk, and they've got all that stuff, and, you know, and I've seen people who, man, they've, sh- they've shot themselves in the foot, so to speak, and instead of owning up to it, they just resent people who haven't shot themselves in the foot. that's not what he does, but he could. So Paul here is saying, look, you're you're sorrowed, and I took no joy in you being sorrowful, but I now rejoice because that sorrow led to repentance. And then verse 10, for godly grief produces repentance that leads to salvation. So which side of salvation is repentance on? On the, the cause or the effect? Here it's the cause it leads to. Without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And we all know people who are really, really sorry about the consequences of their sin, sorry that I lost my job, I'm sorry that I'm a slave to alcohol or drugs, I'm sorry that I lost my family, but that's as far as it goes. Here, that's a sorrow that leads to death, there's a sorrow that leads to repentance, then he gives seven descriptions about it. Without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death, verse 11, for see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, what eagerness to clear yourself. What indignation, what fear, what longing. When I picture the prodigal coming to his senses, I picture those types of things. What have I done? Indignation at yourself. I can't believe I squandered my inheritance. I can't believe I threw away my relationship with my father. Um, what longing. I, <laughs> how much I want to be reconciled with him. What zeal. Um, this prodigal gets up and goes. He doesn't just dream, one day I'm going to go back to dad. He gets up. He says, I'm going to get up and go. Once he do? he gets up and he goes. And... The word in the ESV in verse 11 translated this punishment is, is avenging of wrong, is willing to make restitution. And here, he's willing to become the hired servant. He's not saying, I'll come back home, Dad, if you'll let me be your son again. He recognizes I've wronged you, so I'll, I'll, I'll anyway. So 2 Corinthians 7, 10, 11, to me, gives a lot of insight into the mindset, longing, indignation, zeal, clearing of yourselves, which makes this feeling in my mind of the sort of coming to your senses um, that all accompanies godly grief and, and repentance. So I see some overlap there. But, but how long it took the prodigal, um, how many steps? We just know he gets to the point where he recognizes sin against God, sin against you. I have no rights, I am, I'm simply asking for grace, and I'm willing to Take whatever you'll give me. I don't. I'm I'm willing. You want me to be your hired day laborer? Go to this field. Go to that field. Break my back working for you. Fine. Whatever. I want to be back in your house. I want to be back in your home. And I'm I'm starving without you. Um, Is more than that, or is that that's as much as I can get from it? I mean, at the end of the day, I just don't know how how long of a process this was. But that's. Sure, oh no, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the mic was off, but Doug was saying there's a lot of variations. We know how it started, it started with the felt need, and we know where it got to, because we got his rehearsed speech, which is clearly the final step before he gets up and goes. And what took place between A and B, we don't know. There could be months, years, we don't know. We're, we're told what, what got his attention was his hunger, and we're told where he gets to. Yeah, we don't know. There's a lot of variation, and and I think part of the reason we don't get as much detail there is because, like you said, there is a lot of variation. I mean, I plug my own repenting, my own, what have I done? (laughs) And I'm sure other people can plug their own in, and the Lord in this text has left enough room for a lot of space to be plugged in. Yeah. Anybody else? Oh, Allo Strander in the back. Chairman of the Elder Board, for those of you listening on the podcast.
1: <laughs> I always love it when he does that <clears throat> um, yeah verse thirty one I just uh just you know as the as the son goes through his the older son goes through his tirade and and uh against his father about how come you never you know given me a kid and had a party for me and my friends and on and on and and then obviously my brother hardly even wants to mention his name has done all these terrible things and yet you give him a fatted calf and i just was impressed again with the response of the father you can almost just just see him uh, and he said to him my child and you know i can just hear him being tender and and you know you've always been with me and and all that you have is my uh, that is mine is yours so you know it, it's like you don't realize what you've had all this time. You are here. You're sharing in my wealth. You're sharing in my, um, in my bounty. You are, I mean, you are living a, a party all the time. I mean, it's, it's great. And, and you don't even realize it. And, uh, and I think that's, I was just thinking about that, you know, as far as us even rejoicing as, as, as sinners come. But uh, how were we before, and and we fail to realize what we have in Christ, and and how much we have, and how wonderful, and and just you know what a uh, joyous thing each day, and and it's easy to forget that as we go through life and and uh, go to our day to day jobs and deal with this and that, and uh, you know it was just it was I can just see the Father saying that, and just that was pretty impressive.
0: Well, and, and that's, in 31, part of where you get the notion of the relationship. What's the father remind his son of? Two things. Everything I ha- you, you have your inheritance. Everything I have is yours. But he starts off with, you have me. You know, you, you have me. Which, again, is why I think Jesus is assuming their assumptions. I don't think the Pharisees have God at, at this point. But let's assume you're who you think you are. You have, you have God. And you have a kingdom that you're going to inherit. So what are you begrudging these people that I'm welcoming them into? There's room enough at the table. Your inheritance isn't getting any smaller because I'm letting them in. Uh, But yeah, he goes to the son and he's pleading. And again, it gets me back to Jesus isn't directly rebuking the Pharisees. He's appealing to them. The father appeals to the older son. So the father has two lost sons, right? I mean, he's trying to plead with both of them. One of them comes in and he welcomes him and he's pleading with the older brother. The older brother's not where he needs to be either. (laughs) Um, And the father's trying to remind him, but you have me. And yeah, we, we have, yeah. You're, you're getting too far ahead of you. There's stuff for next week, Al. No, absolutely, absolutely, but that's, yeah. Okay, um, anything else? 10 minutes. Ooh, Kathy Hardy. Mm-hmm. Microphone's coming.
4: I just um, really liked your box with the applications. Because, you know, I think for some people it's more dramatic than others, but everybody has to come to that realization that they have sin before they can be saved. And um, I've been praying about what I would, I always have to open my first class tomorrow, you know. I have one high school class with some hockey players in it. And, um, and, you know, I, (laughs) sorry. Some of them have been hit in the head too many times. (laughs) Anyway. Um, You know, this is, I just, this is, I really liked the beginning, how you, you know, explained the son, I'm I'm tired of waiting for you to die. I mean, we just read that and we think, well, yeah, maybe it is his right to get that third, you know. That's the way I've always looked at it. But um, I'm... Thanks, because I'm gonna share just that little bit of that parable and the six points with my class tomorrow. So I appreciate prayer, especially, well, all of them, but the hockey players, too.
0: (laughs) I mean, she put trademark in there next to the box. (laughs) It's
4: not gonna be word
0: for word. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think that we can't, it works with the parable to maximize, not minimize, the son's guilt. Once it clicked, that Jesus is granting the premises, and in, like we saw this before with the woman who is the sinful woman, right, and she weeps at Jesus' feet, and Jesus says, her sins which are many," many. The, the answer isn't, she's not as bad as you think she is. The answer is, but you're way worse than you think you are. <laughs> it's never, he never tries to minimize that woman's sin. He never tries to minimize the sin of the tax collectors and of the of the sinners. That's never the way Jesus tries to resolve the tension. It's either let me show you God's great love that's big enough to deal with this, or maybe you're not as good as you think you are. And here we're so I'm I'm playing it. Let's maximize. Let's, Jesus is picking an ugly picture. I mean like Deuteronomy says, he's committing, what he goes and does, he'd be put, part of the reason I think he leaves the land is if he was doing this at home, his parents, according to law, ought to put him to death, or the community would put him to death. Like, I think that's part of the reason why he doesn't want to live like this at home, he wants to go to a far land, is because it wouldn't be tolerated at home. Um, and so, so this, is, this is ugly, it's uglier than we think it is. And yet the Father's love is big enough that it can handle that. So the bigger we make the more we make out of the prodigal <clears throat> sin, the bigger we make the father's love, which I think is what we're supposed to do. And you can only imagine how the pharisees would take this. <gasps> what? Just the shame and the, it's just unthinkable. And <gasps> I mean, we know they're all about honor. I got to pick I mean, these are the guys who a chapter earlier were trying to do the calculus of Which chair can I I think I can take the fourth best seat. Wait a second, let me make sure. No, I can do the third. I think I can fit the third best seat. And the guy's making his list of who to invite, but who's going to get him the most honor. I mean, these are people obsessed with honor, so the shame of this scenario, they're, they're going to get. They're not going to... They're. Oh yeah, they're I mean, they are going to be absolutely... If that ever happened to them, they would not respond this way. Uh, so so we get, when he's telling it to the audience of Pharisees, they're going to... They're going to make all those connections. They're going to realize just how terrible this is. So, so God's grace is bigger. <laughs> I mean, in fact, okay, anything else? I want to close on Philippians 3, but um, one of Paul's prayers, Carol. But it's not quite time to close yet. One more. Any anyway, One more person. Oh, we can close. The- oh, in the back, Zach. Zach in the back.
2: Um, I was going to say something back to what uh, Doug was saying about, or, you know, asking about how long it took, and we just don't know how long it took for the prodigal son to repent, Um, but how it is different for different people. I was just thinking about how, yeah, it's, there's, like, different personalities, so for some people, you know, like, the first time they did something, you know, really bad, that would, like, freak them out enough to, like, oh, I got to change the way I'm doing this thing. And then some other people, it's like, they have to completely hit rock bottom mm. to really realize and turn around. And then I was thinking about, in this the case of the the son, I'm guessing it didn't take him too long if he really was starving. Like, you know, you can only last so long before you die. So, um, yeah. but for some people, if it's not life-threatening, you know, they might go years where they're, ah, I really want to change. but. Uh, then I go back to this thing and it's, it's okay. I'm, I guess I'm managing or it's not that bad yet. And so it could take them a long time if it's not, you know, like starvation where they're kind of making it before they really realize they have to repent. And so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes when we're shielded from the consequences of our sin, we, it gives us more space to eep, eep on, you know. And, and so sometimes it takes, um, this tastes like death, yeah, because that's what you're sowing. Um, oh. And sometimes God and his mercy, I mean, in Romans 2, Paul, Paul talks about, I mean, God, God gets us there many different ways. In Romans 2, Paul says, um, you presume upon the patience and kindness of God, not knowing that his patience is meant to bring you to repentance. Sometimes God doesn't give us what we deserve. Sometimes we don't reap what we sow, and that's what's meant to bring us to repentance. I ought to have been smacked upside the head, and I wasn't. That's actually when I get most scared in my Christian walk. When I feel like God ought to be disciplining me and he's not, that's when I start to really worry. Either something really, something, the big battle's coming out or worse. But no, that, it, he gets us there all sorts of different ways. And, and some people it's, like for me, it was, yeah, the prodigal makes a lot of sense for me. Um, right, mom? No comment. Okay. No comment. Um, no comment. If you guys could go to Ephesians. Sorry, Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. I want to close with this. Um, one of the things that's a challenge about a passage like this and a challenge about talking about the love of God is, as Christians, we talk about the love of God all the time. We sing about the love of God all the time. And so it's just, okay, the love of God. And and so I, I, I'm, I'm in, like, Kyle, I'm encouraged by your question, because if you feel stretched by God's love, like that's what we ought to be. I mean, when Paul, we're going to look at a prayer where Paul's prayer for the church at Philippi, which has no real problems other than Iodia and synchity, quarreling, this isn't a church that Paul's trying to set them straight and fix their wagon. The Philippian church has been faithful. They've been, they've been ministering to Paul while he was in prison. This isn't one of Paul's problem churches. This is a sound, a solid church. And yet Paul prays. Look at how he prays for them. What does he pray for? And what does it assume? I think we all assume, of course I get the love of God. Then why does Paul pray so vehemently that these solid, faithful, partnering and ministry Christians might comprehend more of God's love? So Philippians 3, 14, to the end of the chapter. For this reason, which this reason, I think, is everything he's just said from chapters 1 to here, About salvation, election, um, united with Christ, union, the dividing wall being torn down, a new man being made in Christ, um, the mystery that's revealed. Ephesians 3, Ephesians 3. Okay, it is Ephesians chapter 3. I got Philippians in my head and I keep saying Philippians. It's Ephesians 3. Yeah, Carol's doing the class on Paul's prayers. I didn't know about the prayer in Philippians 3. Um, Yeah, it's Ephesians 3. Um, verse 14 for this reason I bow my knee before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named now notice the specificity when we pray for things which is God bless them um, or maybe God help them to understand truth Paul is not just concerned with the ends you will pray you as we read through this note what the goal the end is but he's also very very specific with the means how that goal is achieved that according to the riches of his glory, so God, God would do this in proportion to his riches of glory, which if you stop and think, how big of a proportion is that? Big, right? It's not small. This isn't, God want God to do this a little. That God would do this according, if God does anything according to the riches of his glory, he's doing it big time, right? Okay. That God would, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you, this is gifting you, to be strengthened with power. You need strength and power. Why do I need strength and power? According to the riches of his glory. Um, through his spirit, the riches, the power, and the strength is coming through his spirit. Where's it going? Into my inner being. So I need power in my inner being given through the spirit. How much power? Power in keeping with or in proportion to the riches of God's glory. Wow, that's a lot of power. Why do I need this power? That you, being rooted and grounded in love, May have strength to comprehend, so I need power in accordance with God's riches of His glory, given by His Spirit to my inner man, so that I might be able to understand something. That's the logic. I need supernatural power to understand, and everything else is how I get it and how much I need a lot of supernatural power that only comes from his spirit to my inner man, that I might comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So Paul assumes getting your head wrapped around that is not an easy thing. I need a whole lot of power that only the spirit can give in my inner man so that I can begin to wrap my head around the height, width, breadth, and love of God. And we, and we think... Love of God, of course. Yeah, of course, all Christians get the love of God. Well, at some level, we do. We've all tasted and seen the Lord is good, and what Paul's saying is, we don't even, you know, we, we, we It's like it's like grasping the size of the Atlantic Ocean when you're just seeing some tiny little inlet. Oh, that's the Atlantic Ocean, is it? You know, you could sort of, sw- you know, it's 15 feet across. Well, it's just some little finger inlet, you know, in in Maine. You know, I used to go up to Maine. My sister lived up there, and there'd be all these little inlets, and you could have a little thing, of a little bridge over, and it's a piece of the Atlantic Ocean. That's the Atlantic Ocean, is it? Yeah, you don't get it. And that's what Paul's saying about the love of God. So Paul doesn't assume it's easy. He assumes it's going to take a whole lot of power, power in keeping with the riches of God's glory. And that's his big prayer for a healthy, mature, faithful church. And we assume we understand the love of God. Probably not a safe assumption. So anyway, I'll end it with that. That's our time. Next week, older brother. See you all then.